And I think a, a common misconception that Say gets uh, as a network and as an open source blockchain is that uh, it's like a very DeFi focused kind of finance focused chain. Um, and and I'd say the the biggest reason for that is most people don't realize how universal the exchange of assets and trading actually is. The DNA of the Say Labs team very much comes from SF in the Bay Area. Engineers, people, founders in the Bay obsess over is what is the actual problem that users uh, and customers are are coming across. I think that by and large get, tends to get lost in Web3 where people get so excited about the technical problem that they forget about the actual user problem. Uh, the end customer that matters the most are the developers. And what do developers care about? They care about offering their users of their applications the best user experience. That's the only thing they care about is acquiring users. Uh, you acquire users by offering a great user experience. Um, and that is the only value prop, the only problem uh, that say needs to solve. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I got to talk with your co-founder, Jay, a while back about kind of the technical nuance of what you're building at Say, how it's kind of differentiated from other blockchains. But super excited to speak with you. Uh, have the community here directly from the other half of kind of the Say Foundation and what you guys are ultimately building. Uh, really looking forward to the conversation and ultimately what you guys are building because I do think it's unique. It's differentiated from other different blockchains in the space. Uh, so really excited to have you on. I'm excited to share kind of the other half of the half of the world. Um, I can speak on behalf of a couple points on the on the foundation side, but really for um, uh, for where I spend time, it's how, how do how do you think about the ecosystem in an, in an intentful way? Perfect. Well, maybe just before we jump into kind of the community side of things, a little bit more about Say itself. Can you just give the listeners a brief background on how you and Jay met, how Say ultimately came about? Yeah, in, in terms of my personal background, I have a pretty pretty sort of run in the mill, um, run in the mill history. Um, like born and raised in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and uh, never left. I was from, spent pretty much my entire life there. Uh, I had ended up going to school at um, UC Berkeley. Um, initially, got into crypto really purely because um, uh, we were desperate to pay tuition. Uh, UC Berkeley has way cheaper tuition than most universities um, if you if you do in-state. Um, so that was the, at least the initial reason why uh, I, I decided to go there, but um, it wasn't enough. I needed to work, work some side jobs, figure out ways to, uh, to pay things off. And at the time, uh, this was back around 2014 timeframe, um, if you live in the dorms, um, the electricity is free. Uh, so, uh, the sort of brilliant idea that we had as, as kids back then was, uh, well, if you don't pay for electricity, then mining is quite literally, um, kind of a free opportunity. So we had at least gotten started with Litecoin and that was sort of the first, uh, my first foray, uh, into crypto at the time. Uh, then, uh, spent a lot, um, really the majority of, of my time in university, um, working on startups. Um, so across the board, uh, I think education and healthcare, um, just trying a lot, trying out a lot of different things. Then, Coming out of university, spent a bit of time at Goldman. Um, so took companies at Cloudflare Public, um, uh, worked with a lot of really large tech companies and effectively realized how, um, how awful it is to work at a large company and uh, how much bureaucracy, all the issues. It's basically like you're swimming in, uh, in mud is how slow things move. Um, left in quick, uh, quick Goldman uh, to work on my last startup with Jay as well. Um, so Jay is my co-founder. The two of us have worked together on a, a lot of different things. Um, so we've sort of had that decades built, um, sort of trust in each other. 
Um, most recently before starting, say I was at a VC, uh, called Kotu. Um, so there, uh, did a lot of the, some of the fintech, the software, a bit of the crypto. So invested in companies like OpenSea and Starkware, Dune, Fireblocks, Alchemy, um, and a lot of good fintech companies as well, like, uh, Xstripe and a few others. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it- I, I feel like I've heard the story of kind of mining uh, in your dorm room once before. Uh, it, it seems like a common theme of kind of entrepreneurs trying to find a, a side hustle, uh, whether kind of mining cryptocurrencies on uh, the university's computers, borrowing their electricity. Uh, but amazing to hear that ultimately you kind of were able to, one, kind of go in the corporate world, see how slow things move there. Some of the bureaucracies get a taste of that, but ultimately get up and close on the venture side as well, and especially with Web3 and some of those notable companies uh, that you mentioned like OpenSea. How was kind of that quick experience on the venture side? Did that ultimately lead you into wanting to explore more about the blockchain world? How, how does that tie into uh, you and Jay deciding to want to build, say, and kind of a new blockchain standard? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's funny you bring up the mining piece. Uh, I think it self-selects for like desperate people. Um, and, and, and that's very much so the sort of inbuilt culture, uh, that you'll find uh, as you get to know more and more people from, uh, from the say labs team is, uh, we're, we very much have that underdog mentality. Um, you see a lot of that in some of the best startups, um, in, in this entire generation, uh, and the best ones maintain that mentality, uh, even after they become big, successful and, and scaled. Uh, so that's something that we we care a lot about. Um, to answer the question your your question directly, I'd say in in VC there's two major major takeaways. Um, the first is I became very interested in uh, user acquisition, kind of the go to market, how companies uh, build a good product, but more importantly, uh, uh, grow that product uh, amongst users. Because um, those are tend to actually be two completely separate things. There are countless examples of really, really good products um, that nobody knows about and nobody uses. It's it's like unfortunately a big travesty. Um, and I think uh, there's no better example than that uh, in crypto. Um, so that's that's probably the single biggest learning is how important psychology uh, and a good understanding of psychology ends up playing a role in good sales and good uh, user acquisition. Uh, and the cool part about uh, crypto, um, some of what happens in DeFi is you see those those feedback loops play out really fast. So uh, one example is in fintech, a, uh, a lot of companies focus entirely on user acquisition. How much money does it cost to acquire one user? Because if we get one user using our sort of online bank, it's actually pretty predictable how much, um, how much value that's going to bring over the two, three years that they'll stay with the company. Um, so then the question becomes, how can we acquire that user for as low as possible, as efficiently as we can? Um, when you come up with the user acquisition strategy, it typically takes around a year, six months to at least a year to really see that play out. It's like, okay, was that a good idea or not? You'll find out a year from now. Uh, in, in Web3, you find out in like a week. <laughs> the incentives play out so quickly that, okay, a week from now, you'll, you'll see whether or not the, the sort of user numbers um, go up and down. And I think you can see a lot of the current applications that are in in, in crypto and web three today, uh, so it's it's fun in, in just experimenting because you see that feedback so fast. You can switch things up, you can improve it, uh, and that's why there's so much things going on and change. And I, I would definitely 
echo your sentiments of <laughs> great technology ultimately doesn't win. You also have to have that distribution piece. Uh, I find, especially with early stage companies in crypto on the venture side, often they're doing something extremely novel or some of its kind of repeat products, maybe you add a token. Uh, but I would say more so than the tech, the harder part for these teams is really the go-to-market and the strategy around how to get that distribution. And very few teams, I would say, have been able to really overcome kind of that inertia to hit and test to see if they can kind of get to some amount of product market fit or get enough distribution that enough people are actually testing their product. It's, it is a hard challenge, whether it's in crypto or even uh, Web2 companies as well. Yeah, no, I, um, I completely agree. And that, that's, that's something that um, me and my team spend all day thinking about is um, how, how does the foundation go about hiring? Um, how can we support the foundation in the best way possible so that they can really carry the torch on? Um, uh, and, and grow the ecosystem in the right way. What are the what are all the learnings from uh, past ecosystems? Kind of the good and the bad. Uh, there's so much bad, um, but that's exactly uh, the kind of the uh, the learnings that um, I think uh, the state team really benefits from. One hundred percent. Well, maybe kind of jumping, diving deep or into like the state thesis. What you guys ultimately saw in the market that didn't exist that you really wanted to go out and build it itself it's interesting today when i talk with other investors uh in the space even application engineers a lot of them they're either confused or trying to understand the market as it stands today they have different options with ethereum uh layer twos there's kind of a different class of blockchains uh, that are focusing more on high throughput, like Solana, like Sui, Aptos. In your words, where would Say kind of uniquely fit uh, in the blockchain landscape? Uh, and why is it actually needed in the departure of kind of some of the technical understandings? Uh, why are those needed that cannot kind of be built elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. So um, perhaps like the easiest place to start is um, Say only has one very simple thesis. Uh, and, and you'll find that uh, thematically across a lot of uh, how the team approaches um, building the ecosystem is uh, keep things simple. And I think that's uh, if you look at the best companies uh, point blank uh, in history, there's no need to sort of reinvent the wheel. It's like how have some of the best organizations uh, in the world uh, approached growing the business? Um, Amazon only has one thing that they care about, just the customers. And you, you, any sort of Jeff Bezos interview you'll you'll listen to, he'll talk about the he'll repeat this one word uh, fifteen twenty times, and that's roughly the interview. Um, for say the only thesis that we have is we believe that the fundamental use case of blockchains is the ability to exchange digital assets. That's it. Um, you, you the, there's so many other potential use cases that people talk about, like all of the possibilities. Um, we boil all of that down, and we say this is the core use case. That won't change. Um, and I think a, a common misconception that Say gets uh, as a network and as an open source blockchain is that uh, it's like a very DeFi focused kind of finance focused chain. Um, and and I'd say the, the biggest reason for that is most people don't realize how universal the exchange of assets and trading actually is. Like when they think trading, they, they think about all the candles and um, all of the technical analysis um, and sort of speculation, speculating up and down. Um, Trading is about as general purpose as it gets. 
Um, it is critical for every single part um, of any Web3 ecosystem. So you can think NFTs, uh, gaming, uh, social, um, it all actually comes back to trading. And we can, we can kind of dive a lot deeper into that. Um, but that, that's, uh, that's one of the big differences in terms of both the thesis uh, and what ends up leading to how we think about Say's differentiation as well. No, I, I think that's beautiful. And I, I mean, at Tesla, Elon kind of has this like famous saying that one of the worst traps is optimizing for something that should not exist. And I, I think it kind of goes to your point, like really boiling things down to like their fundamental primitives. Uh, and in that case, with Say, uh, with blockchains, particularly kind of this trading uh, thesis is rather beautiful. And because it's so clear, kind of pinpointed, all that energy really goes to making that use case as eloquent, as simple as possible uh, and allows application engineers to really go in and figure out the best ways to harness that. Yeah, no, I, I think um, uh, I think it's very well said. Like the, the irony of, of startups and really any new kind of technology like, um, like say is there's ironically only a few things you need to get right. Um, and you can get everything else wrong. You can completely whiff on everything else in the ecosystem. But if you get that one thing right, um, that matters more than everything else combined. Um, and th that's, uh, that is exactly the thesis that uh, the team has around the exchange of assets. Uh, so if you, if we take an example of look at every successful app in Web3 today, every single one, um, by and large, they neatly fall into two, two simple buckets. They're either directly in exchange yep. or they're indirectly in exchange in that most of their demand comes from an exchange um, or they need to exchange assets. So we can t go into each of the buckets. The first bucket uh, that's directly in exchange, it's like Uniswap, uh, Sushi, OpenSea, Magic Eden, um, and a lot of the games as well. So if you look at Axie and Seppin, people think of them as games. Uh, when structurally they're actually exchangers. Uh, like the main thing and the main user experience of Step In and Axie is you exchange the uh, the tokens or you exchange the NFTs. Um, so all of that you can categorize as effectively directly in exchange. Like there's actually not much different from Uniswap versus OpenSea. You're exchanging a different token format. Uh, one's non-fungible, the other one's fungible. Um, yeah, it it is rather interesting now looking at kind of the broad applications they they really do uh I, the ones that have truly found product market fit are operating exchanging value in the back end uh and uniquely kind of leveraging the basic property of a ledger that blockchains have created the digital ledger it is kind of remarkable uh, yeah when you kind of boil it down yeah no it, it gets even more uh, interesting when you dive into the other bucket uh, the sort of indirect exchanges. So what are the other really successful applications that consumers use that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, it's like Aave, MetaMask, stablecoins, like USDC and Tether. Uh, we can go through each one. Uh, Aave, most of the demand for Aave comes from uh, the need to buy something. It's like that, that, that is the core purpose for taking out a loan is you do something with the assets now, the sort of liquid assets. Um, so uh, it's very fair to say that if you remove Uniswap from the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, most of the demand, the organic demand for Aave uh, just vaporizes. Um, and Aave needs to then move to wherever Uniswap moves next. 
because so much of that demand comes straight from uh, another app. Same thing with MetaMask. Um, MetaMask and where the users of MetaMask end up uh, is actually pretty easy to back into. All you have to do is just look at the most used apps on Ethereum. Uh, and most of the users that go onto MetaMask end up using Uniswap, OpenSea, Blur, or MetaMask Swap. It's like the exact same destination that they all end up at. And then the last part, stablecoins. Uh, people talk about stablecoins a lot because they're one of the, the few products that have that deep powder market fit. Um, but guess what stablecoins are used for? Uh, for liquidity uh, as a trading pair. It's like USDT shows up as the, the default pair for most assets on centralized exchanges, uh, on DEXs as well. Um, so all of it ends up coming back to um, to trading. And that, that's that's uh, very evidently why um, something like say needs to exist uh, is optimizing every part of that stack for exactly the one use case that the entirety of blockchains will end up uh, really convening on. Yeah. And so you were kind of, you and Jay were ultimately looking at the landscape. You saw some stuff that was going on in Ethereum, saw what was going on kind of in the layer two land, Solana, say, um, or Sui and uh, Aptos. And you're like, look, they're a little bit more general purpose. Uh, you can do a lot of things on each of them in their own regard, but they're not sp specifically focused on the core fundamental primitive which is trading. And that's why we need to really redesign the tech stack from the ground up and allow the engineers to focus simply on leveraging this primitive. Perhaps like the, the easiest way to think about how, how you talk about the value pop for say um, is the DNA of the say labs team very much comes from SF in the Bay area. Um, and one thing that I'd say a lot of, uh, engineers, people, founders in the Bay obsess over is what is the actual problem that users uh, and customers are are coming across? I think that by and large get, tends to get lost in Web3 where people get so excited about the technical problem and really solving for um, this technical feat that hasn't been done before uh, that people really, really get it. Other engineers and developers get really excited about um, and they, they tend to index so heavily on solving the technical problem that they forget about the actual user problem um, that people care about. Um, I'd say that's one of the biggest differences for the value pop, say, is when you think about uh, the only problem that, say, focuses on solving, it's how do you facilitate the exchange of assets? How do you make that as smooth as possible? Uh, and one, uh, one way of thinking about the problem is if, say, is successful, then a decentralized exchange has no trade-off, next to no trade-off. Uh, there will always technically be a small sliver uh, because running uh, an application on more than one database uh, is going to operate a little worse than uh, uh, than if you ran on just one database. Uh, but how do we cut that trade off uh, as much as possible? Um, and at the end of the day, that reflects in the user experience. Um, using Coinbase, for example, is so much more smooth than using any decentralized exchange. It's it, it is night and day, um, and that's why. Uh, something we ended up starting, uh, starting something like say, is because if you you can build a dex right now on Ethereum or on any other L1 and L2, um, the only problem is the dex will operate so so much worse than Coinbase or pick any other centralized exchange. Um, it's not even worth competing. It's like you can try your best, you can come up with new mechanisms. Uh, it actually doesn't matter. The user experience is uh, it is completely different and it differently. Um, so how do we narrow that as much as we can? being able to send money peer to peer 
And then with Ethereum kind of expanding upon that with smart contracts, uh, a whole new kind of world opened up. But then we ran into kind of all these technical challenges with scaling. And I feel like there's been some of these leaps and innovations. But to your point, we've really been stuck in solving technical problems for solving technical problems and have really, I felt like, neglected the application side. And I, it's refreshing to kind of hear a team so focused on the applications that can ultimately be built and using the technology to further what can ultimately, um, what type of applications can be built on top of the network instead of focusing on solving some fancy math problem. The value pop of say versus a lot of the other um, sort of chains like Solana, um, like Apto, 6 we and other other ones that people typically bring say up against. Um, the uh, It helps to take a huge step back and understand like what does it mean to be an open source blockchain? Like who who are the customers, the actual end users of an open source blockchain? Uh, the end the customer that matters the most are the developers. And what do developers care about? They care about offering their users of their applications the best user experience. That's the only thing they care about is acquiring users. Uh, you acquire users by offering a great user experience, um, and that is the only value prop, the only problem uh, that say needs to solve. Um, that encompasses a ton of different technical feats. Um, that includes parallelization. It includes uh, using a lot of different development frameworks. Um, so there are chains uh, and there are blockchains today that their sole focus is, hey, we want to add parallelization. Uh, their sole focus is we want to grow a certain development framework or a certain coding language. Um, all of that will be abstracted away. That should all be included in actually just solving the core problem. So if you if you properly solve this problem and offer developers the best kind of product and delight the customer, that means you abstract away the need to focus on a certain development language. You can write in Solidity, you can write in Rust, you can write in WebAssembly, you can write in Move. It doesn't matter. Uh, because if I ask you today, what is the language that Amazon.com is coded in or Google.com? Who knows? It, it, just, it doesn't matter. It's completely abstracted away. So at some point, the industry will get to that. Um, and it makes no sense uh, for us to uh, really pigeonhole and focus on just that. Uh, that includes a lot of the performance pieces. Uh, and it can include uh, throughput, CK, all of the things that uh, a lot of teams are really focused on. Um, but at the end of the day, the real goal is solving a, a customer need. I fully agree. And as you mentioned, today, that customer need is especially on the infrastructure side is the developers and making that experience as kind of simplistic as possible so that they can build really amazing applications on top of the infrastructure. And I, I think going back to one of my earlier questions, kind of why uh, say versus like these other ecosystems, that's one component, but also why w from a developer point of view or how are you kind of targeting the developer point of view and enticing engineers to build on, say, versus the other options that they do have out there. Because I think that is, both of those, like what is your unique value proposition? And then how do you actually get the engineers are some of the most challenging parts for any new layer one or um, even layer two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that, that's the that's sort of the, the sort of quintessential question. Um, so uh, I can speak on behalf of the foundation and um, share a couple of the experiences that they've gone through. Um, notoriously, the Safe Foundation uh, has has always been very proud about being very limited with grants uh, and giving being very limited, just kind of throwing out uh, resources uh, to teams um, because 
if you think of blockchains as infrastructure, so think of any example of infrastructure like Oracle, um, uh, Snowflake. If Snowflake paid its customers to use Snowflake, um, that the, the 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 model just doesn't work. Like you as a customer imply that you you actually have to uh, uh, to pay something. Um, it, it doesn't actually work the other way around. It's not very sustainable. Um, uh, I'd say that's one of the big big components, uh, and that's proof that a lot of the the builders and the developers that are in the say ecosystem, uh, they're not here because they think that they can get some short term short term money and short term capital. Um, they're here because they're excited about uh, the direction that say is going at. Um, and that gets me to really the the core reason that uh, I think the say ecosystem has gotten um, uh, a lot of developer interest. I think the team keeps it pretty real. That, that's that's probably the core reason. Uh, there's there's no there's not going to be like a fluffy. Oh hey, here's here are kind of the ten secrets. Here's the here's the playbook. Um, I'd say the Safe Foundation keeps it very real. Um, and what does that really mean if we unpack it? At the end of the day, developers and applications they care about acquiring users. Uh, yep. Yes, that means the infrastructure needs to be good so that they can offer a better user experience. But at the end of the day, help them acquire users. That's what the ecosystem should be doing. That's what the foundation should be doing. Uh, any other chain. Um, I think most chains uh, don't tend to really understand that to its fullest extent. Uh, so a framework that uh, I think about for user acquisition uh, for any open source network is as a publisher. Dive deeper into like different publishers and how that works. Yeah, yeah. So I for maybe for context on on how to best understand publishers, uh, by and large, I think a lot of people tend to view Web3 as this brand new paradigm. Things work differently. Uh, the kind of the projects are work differently. User acquisition works differently. Businesses work differently. Uh, by and large, that's completely false. There's actually no difference um, between a lot of the things that really matter in Web three and crypto uh, and how things typically operate in gaming and in biotech. So we can bring up a couple examples. Um, from very high level, biotech has major publishers. So if you look at the large pharma companies like Pfizer, like Merck, um, if the two of us were to create this brand new this brand new drug. We can't take it to market ourselves. We go to Pfizer, like a publisher. They'll take a uh, perhaps a percentage of future revenue, and they'll say, "Okay, we will bring you to all of the millions of sort of distribution points that we have, all the hospitals." Mm-hmm. So they become the central publisher of that industry. Same thing happens in gaming. If the two of us create this brand new game, this brand new storyline, we go to Activision, to EA, the publishers within the gaming industry. They'll take, uh, they'll they'll get a deal done, and they will distribute us to the millions of sort of game stops and everyone that's in in their in their channel. Mm-hmm. The irony is crypto doesn't uh, doesn't work any any differently. So the question becomes who are the publishers in crypto? Uh, and we think there's two types. Uh, the first those are go ahead. I, I was I was just going to say those being yeah, uh, the first is centralized exchanges. So like Coinbase and Binance and and all all, all the the classic list. Um, and then the second are networks. So L1s, um, in the same category as L1s, you can think of as L2s. You can also add bridges to that, which are also effectively, uh, all three are by and large competitors. They all compete for the, they all focus on the same kind of end customer. Um, So uh, those are the two types of big publishers. Um, And if you look at just the case studies of how um, sort of early Solana, early Avalanche, um, early Phantom really play out, early BNB, you'll see a lot of these themes pop up. So what made... Solana so successful as an alt L1 early on is because they partnered with a centralized exchange. Yeah, it did help. The ultimate. Uh, yeah. 
Sam had pumped a lot of liquidity into Solana and uh, just by partnering with such a big name at a time, it really kind of gave Solana a boost, especially when the gas fees were much higher and kind of the Ethereum landscape, it opened a window of time where they could really kind of prosper. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, that's, the, that's the right way to think about it. Like uh, the ultimate publisher in Web3 today is Ethereum. So if the two of us, let's just say the two of us create a brand new protocol, a new application, a new lending app that we're excited about. Um, developers build on Ethereum because they think that Ethereum will help them get their first 10,000 users. That's what every startup should be focused on, not focused on scaling. Scaling is a sort of a, an honor. Like most, a lot of apps and teams in crypto make the mistake of focusing a ton on scaling early on, uh, but they can only ever get five to 10 users. I mean, you just don't need to scale. Um, that's not like a problem that you need to solve. Let's, let's focus, take the kind of one step at a time. So every, every startup needs to focus on finding their first 10,000 users. Uh, Ethereum is the most attractive publisher. That's why so many developers, so many people kind of still, it has that network effect. Um, the L2s, uh, sort of, um, vampire and, and really, uh, really pull off that as well. So they have this great advantage of just being closer to where, uh, the center is in terms of users and, and developers. Um, so then for any alt L1, the question becomes, well, damn, how do you compete with that? <laughs> how do you offer a, how do you offer a, uh, a, a piece of infrastructure and a product and an ecosystem that can compete with that of Ethereum. Uh, Solana did an excellent job with that because they partnered with uh, what was FTX at the time. Uh, the two of them combined became a, co- a competing publisher against Ethereum because Solana helped apps get their first 10,000 users and then FTX would kind of step in and help them get their kind of next 100,000 million or so users. And so do you think, I guess, over time, kind of the earlier iteration of blockchain networks like Ethereum or some of the networks that are more focused on technology instead of like these user problems will ultimately kind of become less relevant or less important over time if they're not able to continue to drive user adoption or these publishers do not become as relevant because uh, users are in ecosystems that solve their problems yeah it's a good question um the right layer one needs both it needs to both offer great infrastructure that allows applications to have the best user experience for their users whilst also supporting the right founders and the right applications in a way where they can help uh, they can serve as a publisher partner so safe foundation uh, and any l1 foundation should view themselves as a Part, a publishing partner for all of the applications. Um, uh, yeah, by and large, teams tend to over-index on one or the other, uh, and usually uh, um, very strong kind of technical advantages. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's say is completely open source. Someone can, and someone already, several teams have have already forked uh, sort of say in its, uh, in its in its current iteration. Uh, so at some point, uh, that can only take you so far. It's the, the network the network effects of the ecosystem really end up kicking into play. Um, and the, there's no better example than Ethereum. Like Ethereum is expensive. It's slow. It doesn't matter. Like literally does not matter. Um, that's where all the, still where most of the users are. Um, nothing matters way more than any of the sort of advantages that you can, you can have a laundry list of the issues uh, that mainnet Ethereum has. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, when you do start to peel back some of the user metrics and the on-chain analytics, as you are saying, there's very few people that actually interact with 
applications on chain. Uh, most notably, the exchanges, as you mentioned, were by far the most interacted, whether that be in OpenSea of the world or Uniswap, uh, and particularly focusing on simplifying that experience that leverages kind of the exchange of value on chain does seem rather brilliant. And I, I know you guys have been working on this for some time uh, on the technical side with testnet and everything. Is there any like updates that you could provide on when you guys are ultimately shooting for mainnet and uh, when people can actually expect to use say uh, in the wild? Yeah. 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 Um, so piggyback off of the point you brought up earlier. Um, I think that's what a lot of the, the teams building on say really find refreshing is, uh, for example, when the foundation talks to like a gaming team, uh, a lot of the other L1s go to the gaming team and they come in saying, Hey, you know, we we're custom built for gaming. We've kind of, we made a lot of the, a lot of the advantages that a game needs, um, which by and large, uh, is fluff. What does it mean to be optimized for NFTs? Uh, candidly, nothing. It's, it's not very compelling. Uh, it's purely marketing. The, the save focus never changes. It's always going to be optimizing for the exchange of digital assets. Uh, and a lot of teams sort of appreciate that kind of honesty because you go to a gaming team and you, you go to them and you say, Hey, um, I'm going to be very honest. Uh, the open source blockchain is optimized for the exchange of assets. And the very next question that they'll ask is, okay, what the hell does this have to do with our game? Um, and it takes a bit of an educational process and um, definitely takes a bit more, a lot more handholding. Uh, but a lot of once, once the teams realize how important the exchange of assets is to their game, to their NFT, to their social app, um, that's when uh, they really start building that that level of conviction uh, and say, um, if you think about any game, what's critical to any Web3 game is the distribution of the gaming assets. So if we create a new game and uh, there is this uh, sort of token that's needed to play the game or there's this token that needed to purchase assets in the game, uh, the way that the game grows is by distributing the tokens as far and as wide as possible. That's why Axie is an example of a successful Web3 game. It's not necessarily because the, the gameplay is that fun and there's many there's many games that um i'd rather play than actually it's because actually did an excellent job distributing the, the digital assets and how do you do that uh well by exchanging them you need all this sort of exchange venues um so that's 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 uh that's why the focus for for save it never changes but it applies to every single application what is what does the nft project care about at the end of the day uh, they care about minting out the nft they don't care about uh, the sort of object ownership and, and the small little the small little details. That's that's all icing icing on the cake. <laughs> they, they care about people uh, exchanging the NFTs and people owning them. That's it. Um, so so yeah, that, that's that's helped a lot in terms of um, helping the helping projects really understand uh, what matters for say. Yeah. It, again, like. I really do think it takes a long time, I think, in general to articulate really the first principles of what these ledgers are used for. But if you can really articulate that and focus on just that single core primitive of exchanging assets and making that as simplistic as possible, really building the entire tech stack from the ground up, it allows, as we've been talking about uh a rather maniacal focus that just executes on one thing and people can really self-select into utilizing that as efficiently as possible. And the beautiful thing is uh, the blockchains really are kind of these exchanging of assets. Um, 
and tracking that. And so it maps to a lot of things rather well. And it, so you guys have been doing, you raise a good amount of money. You ultimately have built out a larger team uh, with um, say labs and say foundation. Uh, you've been kind of operating on testnet, And I think now you're kind of approaching mainnet. Can you talk about that as well? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I'd, say, I'd say the the last sort of two years has been just an all out sprint uh, for our engineering team on um, really preparing, uh, say, say for mainnet. Um, uh, in terms of the specifics on mainnet timing and, and launch, uh, that's all handled by foundation. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll let them uh, sort of comment on that. But I think uh, uh, the what I can say is the engineering team is uh, effectively very, very close, um, like imminent in terms of um, uh, preparing the chain and uh, preparing the network and all of the stakeholders uh, sort of involved there. Uh, the the thing I'll mention about you know, the the big focus area for uh, from foundation uh, going forward um, and what's going to matter the most to the ecosystem is it all comes down to the applications that are built on top of it. You know, the, the infrastructure by itself is nothing without um, really really compelling applications. Um, the thing that gets me most excited is this concept, uh, for lack of better words, of like a failed founder. Um, there, I, I don't think there's anything more exciting than uh, founders that have tried once, twice, three times, um, haven't seen that kind of success. They made a ton of mistakes um, and they're looking forward to learning from that. Uh, both because that's very much the sort of fabric that Jay, myself, and, and really the majority of our team is cut from. A lot of them are former founders. They've started their own projects uh, with varying degrees of success. Uh, and some of them just complete uh, embarrassing failures. I'm, I'm talking about myself uh, particularly. It's like really, really um, uh, excellent, excellent learning experiences, maybe one way to put it. Um, that kind of DNA is exactly what uh, Say looks for in terms of uh, some of the great founders and the apps that are building on top. Um, folks that have tried, uh, they've learned, uh, they understand how important it is to now listen to the customer um, and actually build things that people will use. Um, rather than just a really exciting problem that they're focused on solving. Um, but that's kind of the, the big theme that say is going to double down. Um, and we were going to, uh, and, and the foundation will give the most attention to our people who have tried before. And this is kind of their second shot. Um, and, uh, they can roll with the punches. And you guys will ultimately kind of be launching in a beautiful time. I would say one, because it is. I would say a bear market and I would say historically bull markets are, you really have to kind of be the loudest in the room uh, to really get attention because there's so many kind of competing things for eyeballs, but in the bear markets, you can really just focus on the core product, what you ultimately want to build and what is the actual customer problem that you're solving. And then secondly, the ability now, I would say, to launch a new layer one when you have different teams, different founders in the past, they may be on their second project, they may be on their third project, and be able to apply all the learnings that they had in those projects and really take it to a new ecosystem that is particularly optimized for one single use case, learn how to leverage that unique capability apply it and all the other learnings from their past projects, hopefully will create a brilliant mix of applications that can really springboard uh, the SAE ecosystem. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, no, that's that's exactly right. Like one one of the big themes that I've at least come across as I get to know more and more founders is a lot of founders they they're building in an ecosystem uh, because that's what they were that's what they told VCs. That was their original pitch. It's like I, I pitched I pitched my initial investors uh, in 2021 and I said, "Hey, uh, we're going to be building this on optimism," um, and they are uncomfortable going to the VCs and saying, "Hey." Um, so we're no longer going to build on optimism because we don't feel that that's the best infrastructure uh, to build for the application that we're building. Uh, that's a hard conversation to have. Um, the nice thing about a really bad market like this one is uh, they don't have a choice. It's like the, the alternative is is uh, the startup just dies. Um, and what we what you know I've seen more and more is founders uh, by force have to take a big step back, look at their application from a first principles perspective. And ask themselves the honest question: What is the best infrastructure to build our application on? Um, and uh, by and large, that opens up the conversation uh, uh, for the foundation, uh, for folks on say uh, to really share with them uh, uh, kind of our thesis. And, and that's that's actually what kind of makes up, I'd say, the, a significant chunk of the ecosystem. Um, are people where by force they have to ask themselves the honest question? But uh, that kind of opportunity you don't really get in a in a in a market where things are high flying. So it's exactly 100%. the point you brought up. And I think, I mean, to that as well, I feel like you guys have, and the foundation has really done a great job of building kind of that community aspect, even before mainnet. Uh, I know you guys have a fairly large presence in the Bay, but also outside of the Bay in kind of more up and coming countries, whether that's hackathons, uh, kind of getting people excited in different parts of the world. Can you kind of talk about some of the efforts that Foundations has really pushed to get a vibrant community and get the ecosystem kickstarted from a application kind of engineering point of view? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say a couple of the big points that Foundation has highlighted um, that I'd say perhaps makes say a bit different in terms of their approach to community is... Uh, first, the the importance of simplicity, I think, really matters there. Like a lot of the reasons why projects uh, really struggle to build a strong community is uh, their sort of message, their thesis, what they're all about is just too damn complex. It's not even complex in the way that perhaps you, like, you and I think of it as complex. Um, it's just like more more than a sentence. Yep. Like, you really need things to be simple uh, for things to grow. Um, I mean, the same will reflect across the largest brands. Uh, like Nike, uh, Nike is, uh, I think, an excellent example um does nike ever talk about the benefits of the shoes the sort of uh, the sort of extra speed that it gives you uh do they ever talk about um the the performance benefits of wearing their shoe over adidas no it's, it, they only care about the, the sort of feeling that you get as an athlete the feeling of winning this is like all their branding kind of focuses on so when people associate with nike they don't necessarily associate the benefits of the shoes they just associate this, this sort of dream the, the victory sort of mentality um, I think there's a lot of learnings there. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's that, that, that's exactly right. Um, so I think that's that's one big component is that kind of simplicity um, about how we think about the problem, about what say is solving. All of that can be abstracted away. Parallelism, uh, zk, all of that are components of solving the ultimate problem that I think users uh, in the community really understands. Uh, the second is trust. Like a lot of projects uh, they don't really trust the members of their community. Um, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's yeah, it's a bit nuanced. Um, I think one of the effective ways uh, that the foundation or how they've thought about um, kind of the pros and cons of how other ecosystems uh, have gone about scaling is 
when you identify those few great members of the community, reward them well. Make sure that they that they are truly part of the team, uh, and you give them that kind of agency, that kind of trust uh, to just continue growing the ecosystem, to continue growing the community, and do it in the way that they want to. A lot of a lot of projects they like having that control. I think I think part of it's just um, it's human nature. Yeah. You, you just you want to make sure that everyone's kind of doing doing the things that they should be. Um, when in reality, the the thing that's ultimately fulfilling for human beings is uh, having that sort of agency to make a decision. So if someone in the community uh, and say is excited about uh, doing this event in Thailand, do it. It's like, it's, it's their idea. That's what they're going to be most excited about. That's what they're going to be most passionate about. They're not going to be most passionate about whatever direction that you, you sort of tell them to, to step towards. Um, so kind of hitting that, that, that right balance with agency, uh, trusting the, the key people in the community um, that have shown themselves to, uh, to really understand the same value pop, uh, to be passionate about exactly the problem that uh, say solving. Um, I'd say that's probably the second big component. And do you feel like over time, just that trust within the community has spurred more hacker houses, kind of more organic development. And I guess for the rest of this year, once ultimately say is live on mainnet, what are some things that you are looking forward to, or the community is kind of planning, uh, once you guys are live? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the ultimate goal for any foundation is to be like Ethereum Foundation, where they really just focus on sort of doing uh, research and they don't really get involved in because the community of, of Ethereum is so fervent that they just, uh, all of it's organic. Um, I'd say that the same likely goes for how the Safe Foundation thinks about things as well, is uh, how do they get to that point? Um, how do they incentivize? Uh, how do they give the right agency to the key people in each community uh, globally? Uh, to do this uh, in the way that they want to. Um, in terms of the, the sort of specific events, uh, yeah, there's a uh, there are several great partners we have um, uh, around the globe. Like in in Silicon Valley, there's One Piece, uh, just to name a few. Um, they've run accelerators, uh, hackathons, um, really focused on uh, bringing over strong uh, strong founders from like Berkeley, from Stanford, and a few others. Uh, there are. Uh, several t- communities in in Asia, uh, which is just an, an area that I think uh, the state community has just started really growing in in a meaningful way. Um, so capitalizing on, on a lot of the energy there, um, especially a lot of the users that they care about consumer apps. Uh, I'd say there's a lot more experimentation and consumer happening in Asia than there is in the United States. The U.S. has historically always been basically like a graveyard for social apps yeah. because Facebook... Uh, Instagram has dominated so, so heavily that they've just choked a lot of great uh, early stage consumer apps out. So paparazzi is like a great example of one that uh, was incredibly hot, had the spark in the pan and then uh, immediately died out. I think Snapchat's the only exception, at least in the United States. Um, in Asia, the countries tend to be a lot more closed loops. So it's like Indonesia has like their own stack in terms of apps that people like using. That's maybe a bit different from uh, Thailand, a bit different from uh, Vietnam. Uh, so there's more opportunity uh, uh, to build, um, at least get, get a new social app started. So I think that that's been a big area. Um, and I think a lot of the, the hackathons that are getting held in Asia, um, probably ones that you'll see for uh, for 2049 uh, for KBW will, will end up really being revolved around that. Yeah, very interesting. No, I, the community thing, I think, is vastly underrated. And the blockchains that ultimately are kind of able to survive the 
trough of disillusionment, I think, are the, really the ones that build that community, build that organic following, have some of the in-person events. And it's even better if the community is ultimately organizing those. Uh, I, I think it really kind of just shows the power of that community. But I guess, I mean, you can't talk specifically to when, uh, say, we'll go live, but can you talk to what you're uniquely excited about in terms of either applications that are on testnet that you're excited to see go live or maybe even more broadly some things that you're excited about for the rest of this year in terms of the crypto market yeah 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 uh, i'd say that the thing that's that i'm personally most excited about um say is mainnet is Builders in the community um, really finally starting to realize exactly how important the exchange of assets is to their application. Um, it's like one of the one of the hardest parts about really articulating, say, uh, early on, is the moment someone thinks about trading in the exchange of assets, they're like, "Oh, cool. Well, this is a uh, this is a some good DeFi." Um, I think uh, the exchanges uh, the, this, that all makes sense, and uh, not really kind of missing uh, uh, missing the forest uh, um, to the trees. And understanding, okay, uh, for NFTs, for social, for gaming, the exchange of assets is just as critical to how those applications work um, as it is to DeFi. So uh, if you look at the NFT industry, it revolves around OpenSea, Blur, and Magic Eden, other exchanges. Um, but that's where people spend the majority of their time. Um, yeah. So so I think that that's, that's probably the thing that I'm most excited about. And if you unlock the exchange of assets, what are the other types of applications that you can really unlock? Um, I think that is really, really interesting to, to really think about. So one example is if you look at the NFT space, Blur took NFTs to its natural next step, which is making it even more exchangeable and trading, trading based where they effectively said, you know what? Uh, the photos, it's nice. Um, the, the attributes, it's cool and all, but, uh, let's turn them into numbers. Okay. You're, you're, you're back to, uh, just exchanging, uh, NFTs as, <laughs> as they were numbers. Um, how do you sort of continue to take that to its natural step? And and that's why I personally think a lot of NFTs will end up um, really gravitating towards is what's the next natural step after uh, what Blur did. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of that uh, innovation happen uh, on say, and I, I'd say that's like a big, big focus for the foundation is how do you take NFTs to its next natural step uh, in evolution? And if you keep pushing that, what is, in your words, what do you feel like the end state is? Do you feel like it's uh, everything's ultimately an order book and you can just kind of trade assets based on an order book? Or uh, I'm curious where if you kind of follow that logic, how the world ultimately looks. Yeah. Um, so Salaz is, is not uh, ironically an order book or an AMM maxi. Uh, both mechanisms have uh, their pros and cons. Um, the only thing that says Maxion is just uh, exchanging assets. Uh, and I'd say both, uh, both are like just as critical, um, in terms of making that vision happen. Um, the, the point you had brought up in terms of kind of the end state, if you go back to the core value pop of blockchains and how, uh, um, where we, where we view that headed towards is at the end of the day, a blockchain offers this permissionless, trustless ability to exchange some kind of digital asset 24 seven globally. Like complete access. Um, yep. The benefits there, by and large, tend to be economic, uh, but it is felt by every human being point blank because every person at the end of the day wants to just improve their livelihood. That's the only thing they care about. That's that's why they vote. That's what they what they uh, what they end up going towards in terms of their political designation. Uh, they want to just improve their livelihood. They're very simple. 
it's 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 not as a, a sort of complex as I think a lot of the, the political science and, and and the sociologists tend to tend to think about it as. Um, and if you live in an excellent, a well-run country, it's pretty easy to forget um, and and take things for granted. Um, and I think a lot of uh, people who end up living in uh, countries like Venezuela, uh, like Turkey, uh, where they may not may not have as stable of a currency, for example. Uh, as the United States, uh, South Korea, as uh, other uh, other developer countries, um, that value pop of just a globally accessible twenty four seven ability to exchange digital assets becomes that much more critical for them. Like that is like uh, existential for a lot of folks um, that perhaps people living in um, just great systems uh, don't quite appreciate. I do agree. I think uh, it's very easy whether it's money, health, uh, lots of things in life to ultimately take those things for granted until uh, one day you don't have them, and then you're much more appreciative of them. But no, it's, uh, I, I definitely agree. Well, maybe if we can kind of wrap up the podcast uh, for, I kind of like doing kind of like spicy takes. Are there any like ecosystems that you're think are maybe worked well in the bull market, but aren't going to do as well long-term that either the like ecosystem projects, uh, category of apps kind of only work in up markets, but don't work in down markets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's a great question. So I, uh, I think, I think the, one of the most common mistakes that great well-capitalized teams make, uh, and specifically layer ones is they forget that they're a startup. So uh, this happens all the time for foundations. Um, they start operating. Uh, they look at the token price, and it's sitting at this, you know, inc- incredible, like huge valuation. Um, and they sort of view themselves as a organization with that kind of valuation, which doesn't make sense. It's, that's the valuation of the network. That's the valuation of the community, and that's not the valuation of how the actual foundation should operate at. Uh, so, practically, most L ones are actually Series A startups. They should have the same mentality as that of like a Series A seed startup, which means they should do things that don't scale. Just go back to like the YC sort of fundamentals. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think that's beautiful. I mean, what what along that lines, what other advice would you kind of give to builders and entrepreneurs in the space? Yeah, I come from a very heavy Web2 background. Um, and I think that there's a ton of advantages uh, that uh, and learnings that you can get from just case studies of what companies have done well and what they haven't. Um, one of the, uh, on the topic of do things that don't scale, I think uh, L1's like Solana have done an excellent job of that. Like after all this time, they continue to do hackathon after hackathon, uh, kind of moving chairs, planning each one, making sure the lights look good. Just the tiny things like that. It doesn't scale, but that's exactly how uh, Solana has built this incredible developer community that continues to stick around. You give each developer that sort of that sort of love and care that they deserve a lot of l1s like there's actually so many that it's, it's uh, i could just sit here listing listing them uh they skip the the startup phase and then they just go straight to oh uh you know the foundation probably thinks of themselves as like a uh, like a big large company now so they'll go for the big announcements the big partnerships uh that maybe bring in a total of like 10 15 users uh, to the network uh, and not focusing on uh the underdogs the failed founders, the exact kind of place. And that, that's precisely where, uh, you know, say wants to double down is find the underdogs, find the failed founders, um, and work with them as, as genuinely the best sort of publisher partner, um, 
that they would need. Uh, and you know what? The big companies they'll they'll come. It's like once uh yeah. once you win, they'll come. They'll, yeah. Slowly, then all at once. That's right. Yeah, that's well perfect. Said. Awesome. Well, we touched upon a lot, Jeff. Uh, really appreciate kind of a inside look into how you're thinking about things, and also how Safe Foundation is thinking about things. Really excited that Mainnet is really close to launch. I think everybody's kind of anxiously waiting to really get to experience, say, uh, on Mainnet, play around with it, see all the applications that have been building uh, in Testnet and for those to finally go live as well. So I really wish you, the team, uh, foundation and labs all the best. Yeah, it's, it's an honor to be here, Logan. So thank you for having me.